We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. If the fourth round pick is all about value, correct? That's mm-hmm. what that's what this is, right? Mm-hmm. This pick on Bailey Zappi is a value play because he'll probably never play, but you'll probably be able to flip him for something more than a fourth or get a fourth back for him later, correct? Yeah. yeah. So if that's the case, then Belichick is a massive hypocrite because in the first round, he drafted a guard where there is literally zero value in drafting a guard when you just traded a top five guard away. So you need to, so Belichick supporters, Belichick kiss asses, figure it out. Is it about value or not? Because it can't be, it can't, it, those picks cannot just both be, oh, that it, Belichick's all about value still. He drafted a quarterback. He's going to flip him for more later. Then why is he drafting a guard in the first round? That doesn't make any sense. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast, post-draft edition, and Chris, I gotta do it. (laughs) Happy Cinco de Mayo to everybody out there who feels like celebrating. I mean, I'm a taco-eating son of a bitch myself, so... Never make that noise again. (laughs) If I had some... Oh, you have no idea. If I had some maracas, you'd be hearing it right now. How do you not have maracas? <laughs> you seem like the type of dude that has maracas as a keychain ornament. <laughs> <laughs> hanging from the hanging from the rearview mirror of my truck? No, on your keys, on your actual keys. Ah, uh, Chris, it's always good to get together with fellow podcasters around the AFC when you're talking about the draft. Because again, you get so caught up in what you think about your draft class that you you do it in a vacuum, right? I think we all do. We all look at the players and we say, well, I didn't like that guy. I didn't like this guy. I wish we had done this and blah, 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 blah. And you can very easily lose sight of the forest for the trees in terms of the, because every other team has to play the same game yours do. Yeah. Like your team has to go out there and 
compete against these other teams that all had their own ups and downs over the course of this roster building process this offseason. So with that in mind, it's always refreshing to take a step back, bring in some fellow podcasters and remind ourselves that we're not alone here. This isn't a vacuum. And just to see what's going on around us. And that brings us to the opening act of tonight's podcast, the New York Jets. They finished fourth in the AFC East in 2021. They came into the draft with nine total picks, four in the top 60, two in the top 10. Here to talk to us about the Jets, because Chris, neither you or I dares to delve that deeply into Jets affairs, lest we catch something. Here to talk to us about it is Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you, sir? Hey, boys. We just had a really fun conversation before we started recording, and Let's just say it involved pizza, landlords, and 1980s B-movies. So there's a lot to be discussed there. B-movies, skin flakes, we talked about everything. Uh, here's a question. Are you a Cinco de Mayo guy? Uh, honestly, the only thing I usually look forward to Cinco de Mayo is I know that that weekend generally, whoever the biggest Mexican boxing star is, is going to be on pay-per-view fighting somebody. Uh, beyond that, I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. I don't pay attention to St. Patrick's Day either. So you're not a wait, wait, wait a minute. So Mexican, so like Mexican cuisine, cuisine has nothing. It do, it does nothing for you. I'm not a Mexican food guy, so I probably wouldn't do well in South Texas. Yikes! Well, Mexican food is all the same. They just have different names. You know what's a burrito? A tortilla with cheese, meat, or vegetables. Well, what's a taco? A tortilla with cheese, meat, or vegetables. Right. It's all the same. It's just a different name. How dare you? What's well, good? I'll come across this table. It's good. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> telling you right now. It's all the same. Tortilla with cheese, meat, or vegetables, and it just has different names. <laughs> he's not, the worst part is he's not wrong. Yeah, he's I'm, not wrong. Yeah. Ah, so Scott, you are the soup can no longer. The New York Jets were one of the big winners of the draft. And that Chris, didn't we peg them as the team? Just a week ago, we sat here during one of our podcasts and pegged the Jets as the team that had the biggest opportunity in front of them. They do. And you, you know what opportunities they will continue to have is this football season. I feel like Scott Mason is going to come into this podcast and he's going to come with the Major League theme song underneath. Oh, when they, they get on a heater? Yeah, because they get on a heater and they'll win two <laughs> games in a row. So, hi, we're a National Football League team. You know us. <laughs> <laughs> so, Scott, these top four picks, are they as transformative as we think it could be for your franchise? Well, let's just say, first of all, as much as – we can talk about who won and lost the draft. Obviously, nobody knows that yet because these guys have to actually go out there and be good. Of course. It's but in all, terms of opportunity, in terms of sure. talent, and in terms of right. supposed skill set. Right. Well, here's what I'll say, right? So this was my draft night experience, essentially. I was I was on the air live uh, hosting U Stadium's draft coverage. And uh, when uh, – so uh, we've talked about this. My thing is I really wanted uh, I wanted one of the top corners, whether that was going to be the three guys. Look, I think Sauce Gardner was the best one. Stingley is, is outstanding, but he, he has the injuries. And I like McDuffie a lot, although his arms are 
not ideal. They're a little bit shorter. But those those three guys, I thought there was a distance between them and everybody else. So I wanted one of those three guys, and I wanted one of the top five pass rushers, obviously Hutchinson, Walker, Thibodeau, Johnson, and Karloftis, all of whom ended up going in the first round. So those that's what I really wanted with those top ten picks. I wanted the Jets to wait on receiver or trade back into the first round to get a receiver. So at four, you know, there was all this buzz. Oh, they're going to, you know, but, but this is the thing that's great about Joe Douglas is he'll purposely put nonsense out there. The beat reporters will will swallow it and report it. And then people will start saying, start believing it like it's true. And then it turns out we've seen this every year. I joked about this on Twitter a couple of days before the draft. I posted an old article from, I think, SI, and it said, uh, mock drafts now believe Jets will take wide receiver CeeDee Lamb, which was never going to happen. They were always taking an offensive lineman. So you heard a Quanu, You heard that they might take Jermaine Johnson at number four. And you kept hearing over and over again, the Jets don't value a corner in their scheme. The scheme doesn't need great corners. <laughs> da, 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 da. Which, of course, as you guys know, it's 2022. It doesn't matter you what scheme You have to have a in. great corner or else you're not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah, you guys know that with Trey White, but I thought it was funny because Greg Rosenthal had a great line about this. Greg Rosenthal from the Around the NFL uh, podcast and TV show, he said, even if you run a zone scheme, at some point, zone becomes mad because you're going to have to go one-on-one with some of these guys and you need somebody that can get, can get the job done there. So my thought all along was this, should, this pick should come down to two guys. Assuming something unexpected doesn't happen, like Hutchinson Falls, which I don't think anybody expected. If you like Kayvon Thibodeau, take Kayvon Thibodeau. If you don't, take Sauce Gardner and then get the pass rusher with pick 10. And so when it became reasonably clear they didn't like they didn't like Thibodeau enough to pick him at four, I wanted Gardner. And, and those to me, those were the only two choices you, you should make at that spot. And they did. And so, you know, for all this talk about how the Jets don't value a corner, they went and spent big money on DJ Reed to bring him in from Seattle, and then they used the fourth overall pick on Sauce Gardner. So it's kind of funny, but I love that. I was going crazy. And then at 10, I wanted the pass rusher, and they went and they got Garrett Wilson, who is a good receiver, but I, I, I didn't – I watched his tape. There's a lot of upside there, but I didn't think he was anywhere near the clean prospect that some people made him out to be. But then as you saw – Jermaine Johnson fall, I kept saying, I really hope the Jets make some sort of move here because if they can go get Jermaine Johnson, and especially depending on what the asking price is, and you guys have seen the video now when they finally got the deal done to move up to 26 and Joe Douglas looks into the room and he says, we're on the effing clock and the whole place goes crazy and Salah jumps up and gives him a bear hug. So when they made that move, I'm like, it's got to be Jermaine Johnson. I swear yeah. if they trade it up for like an offensive lineman, I'm going to strangle somebody. And <laughs> it was Jermaine Johnson. So now I'm sitting there going, this is phenomenal because my thought was get sauce it for Jermaine Johnson at 10, and then you can trade up for a wide receiver if you need to back of the first round. Well, they got the two guys I wanted, and they still got arguably, if not the best receiver, then a guy who is in the top two or three, depending on, who you talk to or what your own opinions are. So if you would have told me before the draft, they're going to get sauce at four Johnson at 10 and Garrett Wilson will fall to 26 and they'll trade up for him. I would have been like, sign me up for that. That's amazing. And then obviously day two comes and I've been, I, we've talked about this before. I've been pounding the table for a while. 
I wanted one of the top three running backs. I liked Isaiah Spiller a lot. He dropped, I think, because of his medical. The other two were Kenneth Walker and Brees Hall. I preferred Hall to Walker, even though I think Walker might be a better running back, just because I think Hall is built to take a pounding, so to speak. He's a big, hulking guy, 5'11", 220 pounds of solid muscle, can really carry a, a load and all that. And so I, I wouldn't, I wasn't necessarily thinking the Jets would do this in the second round, but I'd done a bunch of mock drafts taking a running back in the second round, trading back a few spots or whatever. People were like, I don't need a running back, whatever. And what I keep explaining, and you guys will sympathize with this as Bills fans, having seen a young quarterback develop and become successful. If you look back at what happened when Russell Wilson first came into the league with Seattle, right? They had Marshawn Lynch. And so Wilson threw like 25 times a game. Lynch touched the ball 20 times a game. They leaned on Lynch a lot. Wilson managed the game. He developed. And eventually he turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time at this point. I'm not saying it's going to happen for Wilson, but the point is they went, they got the receiver they, they wanted. They had gotten Elijah Moore last year too. On top of that, they added some tight ends and free agency. They upgraded the offensive line over the last couple of years to the point where it now, on paper at least, looks like it could be one of the better ones. I'm not saying it's going to be an elite O-line, but significantly better than it's been in a long time. And so you look at Wilson and you say, if you, as much as I like Michael Carter, he's a smaller guy, 5'8", 190, 195 pounds. He, he plays a very physical style too, where he runs in a, sometimes he bounces off guys, they, they it's hard to take him down on the first try, but a guy that's small when he's getting hit and he's running into guys, you see him wear down and he was banged up a couple of times last year. So the idea was he's not going to be a guy you want to give the ball to 20 times a game. He's more of a 10 to 12 touch a game guy, a change of pace, a scat back. You want that big guy that can come in and be that feature back, take the pressure off of Wilson, wear down the opposing defenses, keep the, uh, where to keep, the opposing offense is off of the field. So go and get one of these top running backs. And they did. And I love it. I think it's phenomenal. It's going to do so much for the offense, but more importantly for Zach Wilson's development, like I said, now they can lean on bright uh, Brees hall. They can lean on uh, to a lesser extent, Michael Carter, who can both be- make plays in the passing game, by the way, which is huge. And you only have to ask Zach Wilson to throw like 25 times a game, manage the game, be careful. Don't be stupid. And there's, I think this will do so much for him. So I loved all four of those picks. There are people that will quibble about it and say they could have gone in whatever different directions, but they, they did the two things that I wanted above all else. They got sauce and they got Jermaine Johnson. They took care of the two spots that I thought were going to be the toughest to fill. They got the wide receiver, even though they try to get Debo Samuel, they try to get Calvin Ridley. They try to get Tyree kill. They now get Garrett Wilson. Hopefully he develops and and he could be a guy that, you know, you have on a cheap rookie deal for five years. You get Brees Hall and you know what it is with these running backs. You draft them, you run them into the ground for four or five years, and then you let somebody else pay him and you go get the next guy. But for now, it, Zach Wilson is set up about, on paper at least, as well as you could set up a guy going into year two. And this is sort of reminiscent of what we saw once the Bills got digs and they really started to build out that team around Allen. So if Wilson doesn't succeed, it's not going to be for lack of putting pieces around him to help make him successful. We saw what happened with Darnold. Sanchez, they had pieces around him. They took him away after two years. Now, 
I don't know that Sanchez was ever going to be great anyway, but you get the point. The main goal here was to fill premium spots on the defense because they were so bad last year, fix those, and put pieces around Wilson to help him be successful. And on paper, at least, they did that. So if you're a Jets fan, you got to be happy with it. Oh, of course. Now, two things, because you said one thing that I want to circle back to, but first, how Shakespearean is it that Jamal Adams made all this possible? (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because I joked about this the other day. I tweeted uh, a picture of Elijah Vera Tucker and Garrett Wilson, and, and then I tweeted out, thanks, Jamal. Because, like you said, this wouldn't have been possible without Jamal Adams. It's funny because, in the end, if Wilson turns out to be a really good receiver, if Vera Tucker continues to be one of the better guards in the NFL, and they have them on cheap deals for the next X amount of years, and they're able to to really build this out, ultimately, Jamal Adams' temper tantrum is going to be a big part of what led to this. So, you know, in the end, my, my friend John Grella had a great line about Jamal Adams. What he said was, Jamal Adams is a great player, and we can all make fun of him now, but he is still one of the best safeties in the league. Uh, The Jets having Jamal Adams was like a homeless guy wearing a Rolex watch. It just doesn't make any sense. Sell the Rolex watch and take care of more important needs that you have. And that's essentially what the Jets did. They, They got rid of their Rolex watch. They took the money that they got from selling the watch, and they went and invested it in more important pieces. Uh, So... Is this entering, like, I want to ask you your favorite and least favorite pick. I think I already know who your favorite pick was. You already said it. Sauce was kind of the thing, and then you got Jermaine. You got a lot of favorite picks. You you got multiple of the things that you wanted. I did, yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask every guest tonight was their favorite and least favorite. But before that, has Zach, is this like a prove-it year now? Like, is the door is the, stage the same thing that? what Jacksonville did, except the Jets did it in the draft. <laughs> Jacksonville did it in free agency. Wait, wait, whoa, Here, whoa, whoa! Here's all the tools. Wait, wait! Don't compare. Don't compare these two. That's an insult to the Jets. <laughs> uh, the Jets didn't go sign four slot wide receivers and then go. There it, it is. There's <laughs> weapons. They have wide receiver yeah. in their title. They must be the same. That's like it's like that meme when your mom says, Hey, listen, we don't need slot receivers from the store. We got slot receivers at home. And you get home and the <laughs> slot receivers are two slices of white bread and a piece of bologna. You go, ah oh, And a big sausage pizza. <laughs> big sausage pizza. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. The Jets have given Zach Wilson everything he needs to succeed. Our kind of excuses thrown out the window for him in 2022? So here's what I'll say. I don't think he necessarily has to become like an elite quarterback, but if he doesn't at least become a respectable starter in year number two, if if we're still having the same questions at the end of year two, where it's like, is he the guy? Is he not the guy? I, I think you want him to at least become like a middle of the pack starter this year if he can be along the lines of whoever it is like say Andy Dalton during his prime with the Bengals in year two you'll at least know that he's made a significant jump because look he was if he wasn't the worst starter in the league last year he was in the bottom five right so it's not realistic necessarily to ask a guy to go from that to being a top 10 quarterback I'd have to look but I can't imagine that's happened very often Joe Burrow made a jump, but he was good his rookie year, right? Justin Herbert was good his rookie year. 
a guy to be bad his rookie year and then come back year two and be awesome, somewhere in the middle, I think, is fair. So if he can become a respectable starter year two, then I think the Jets will know they're on the right track. If he's still really bad, then there's going to there's gonna be some panic where I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not saying they're going to draft another guy, but you will probably see somebody like, I'm just going to throw a name out there, like a Jimmy G or something brought in here to push him in year number three, if nothing else. So is it a prove it year in the sense of you better go out there and be a pro bowler? No. Is it a prove it year in the sense of you better go out there and look like a real starting quarterback? Yeah. To that extent, I think so. You're, We've heard all about the things that you love about this draft. Was there a pick that you see as your least favorite? It's a tough one because they had seven picks, and and I liked all of them for different reasons. Uh, I Okay, so Garrett Wilson I like, but I didn't love. I liked it a lot more after they got Jermaine Johnson, though. Uh, Let's see. Uh, (laughs) Clemens is a weird one. Part of me – is like they picked a 25-year-old guy with like all kinds of off-the-field stuff. But then another part of me is like we keep hearing about how Joe Douglas wants all these goody-goody character guys, and he picked a guy with a with like a whole bunch of stuff off the field who can probably go out there and kick a little ass if need be. Like if the Bills or, or the Patriots or something start some crap, this guy will be out there tossing dudes like it's the longest yard. So I think they kind of needed a guy like that, so I can't really hate on that pick. Uh, Rucker, see, here's the thing. I like Rucker, and I think he's one of those guys that might have his best football in front of him. He was in an offense where he wasn't asked to do a ton. They had a lot of potent weapons. There is the fact that he's from Long Island and his family's Jets fans, and that could go one of two ways. If he's kicking butt, you're going to love it. If he's underachieving, it's going to start to become really annoying really quickly. So there's a little bit of give and take. I don't think there's a pick that I disliked. Uh, but obviously what I would say is that uh, Sauce, JJ, and Brees Hall were the ones I liked the most. Before training camp, okay, because we're done with the roster building portion of the offseason. The New York Jets roster is pretty much set. Mm-hmm. Joe Douglas, <sighs> fuck, I hate saying this. I hate saying nice things about the New York Jets. But he's had himself one hell of an offseason. He's earned himself a stiff stiff cocktail and a nice long schwitz. But there's (laughs) a ton of heavy lifting to do for the Jets franchise. Because as we've seen in the past, I don't know, just amassing college talent and pairing it with NFL free agents doesn't mean a whole lot if you can't develop them into a cohesive unit. It's where the Jets have always fallen apart. There is a ton of pressure on Robert Sala this season. With it in mind, what are you most confident and least confident in when it comes to this team heading into training camp? That's interesting. What am I most confident and least confident in? I would say that I am probably most confident that the defense is going to be a lot better this year because, look, ultimately what I kept hearing from people was, As I said before, the Jets don't need a corner. You know how many times I got lectured, and it's so funny to me. I got lectured about, you don't understand the scheme. You don't know anything. And it's like, (laughs) I do understand the scheme. I've done shows on the scheme. I've explained the scheme. I know the scheme. I also know that the scheme, I go, look, Robert Sala 
every place that he went had an elite corner. He had Richard Sherman for 10 years. The man understands the value of a good corner. And if you listen to Richard Sherman, he talked about this over and over again, and he had sauce on his podcast and told him, you'd be a perfect fit in that scheme. You're like a young version of me. I'd love to see you go to the Jets. I guess Richard Sherman doesn't know the scheme either. So they had Bryce Hall and they had Brandon Eccles, and I kept hearing about how the scheme doesn't matter, uh, doesn't means the corners don't really matter, and Eccles and Hall were actually good in this and that. Meanwhile, the Jets had like the worst pass defense in the league. They had like a 120 QB rating against on third downs, which is embarrassing. And all due respect to Hall and Eccles, they seem like nice guys. They're not really starting caliber players. They're really more like good depth, good cheap depth, which every good team should want. So I said, look, upgrade there and, and that'll be a key and go get help on the pass rush. And so if Carl Lawson comes back and is healthy this year, fingers crossed, you now add Jermaine Johnson to the mix, right? You went out, you got Jordan Whitehead, who at least is a legitimate starting safety. He's not a superstar or anything, but he, he helps. You add DJ Reed, who's a legitimate starting corner. You add Sauce Gardner, who's a top cornerback prospect. And if the pieces fit together and Salah and Ulbrich are worth anything, this defense should go from arguably the worst defense in the NFL last year to at least respectable this year with the makings of a team that could uh, or defense I should say that could eventually become pretty good so that's really what I would say I'm the most confident in is that this defense is going to be nowhere near as bad as it was last year it would be almost impossible for that to happen I I can appreciate that and I like where your enthusiasm is I mean you guys beat the Titans you guys beat the Cincinnati Bengals both of them were playoff teams a little bit better defense, maybe a little bit more from your offense. You guys are right in the mix. I like where the Jets are, and I really hate where some of our divisional friends are going, <laughs> which we're going to talk about later in this podcast. But before we let you go, why don't you tell everybody, you guys had a lot of great content over on Play Like a Jet leading up to the draft. Over the course of the summer, I'm sure you're going to have a lot more coming out about where you are that I will mm-hmm. hate listen to. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find it? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, we did a ton of stuff leading up to the draft. And now after the draft, we're breaking down all the players they got. We're talking to people about their thoughts on what the Jets did. We're going to have reports from minicamp, rookie minicamp, and then OTAs. And we're going to do film reviews and all that stuff. It's just it never stops seven days a week, even in the offseason. What I like to do, and these are my favorite shows, although they take a lot of work, what I'll do is I'll have somebody on who covered each of the draft picks and we'll tell the story of that player, not just as a player, but like where he came from, how he wound up at the school, different things about his family. So you really kind of get to know that player as a person. So we're working on a bunch of those film reviews, like I said, draft reviews, and then all the actual football is going to happen. You can catch everything on the daily podcast, you can download that play like a jet anywhere where you can get podcasts. We've got our YouTube channel. Uh, Luke Grant's been doing some great film work on there. So subscribe, check out our videos. Look, even if you're not a Jets fan, you may want to watch just to, as Drew said, hate watch and see what the enemy is up to. Uh, we've, we've got our store at tpublic.com. So if you want to check it out. We got some really good artwork there. Uh, Luke Grant's uh, significant other Alex does incredible artwork. So 
her stuff is up there. Uh, and then you can follow me on Twitter at play like a jet one. And guys, I just wanted to, to say that Joe Douglas, who I've said many times reminds me of a young version of Scott Bam Bam Bigelow, the legendary WWF professional wrestler. I've called him many times Bam Bam Douglas. He really lived up to his nickname over this offseason. He he put the uh, the thump into these guys. His, Bam Bam Bigelow's finishing move was a move called Greetings from Asbury Park. It was an inverted pile driver. And I think he gave an inverted pile driver to a lot of the AFC East this offseason. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that leads us to the Miami Dolphins, who had maybe the quietest draft weekend. Uh, The Miami Dolphins have finished third place in the AFC East in 2021, four total picks with zero in the top 100, and two prior to round seven. Alfar Tiaga from three yards per carry, he's here to talk about it. It was a fairly quiet weekend, Elf, but I got to tell you that Dolphins GM Chris Greer had one of the best one-liners of all all draft season, in my opinion. Somebody asked him during a press conference what he would spend the first round doing considering that he didn't have a first or second round pick. And he said, nah, I'm just going to be sitting at home watching Tyreek Hill have highlights. <laughs> that's the truth, right? Yeah, that's it. What would, you, what would you be doing if you were in his shoes? No first round pick, no second round pick, but you got maybe one of the most electric wide receivers in football. Yeah, I just finished recording a, a podcast with Simon Clancy, and and I asked him. Uh, we were going over the NFL, and I and I asked him, "Would you have rather used pick twenty three on a wide receiver if you were the the Arizona Cardinals, or would you rather have Marquise Brown?" And that was like a fifty fifty, right? Because Marquise Brown actually played with Kyler Murray, so you know maybe there's a premium there. Maybe maybe it's worth trading that pick for a kind of productive wide receiver, not a great wide receiver, but a productive wide receiver, right? Well, when I got to 29, I was pretty happy with my pick. <laughs> yeah. I think that we had the best draft pick in the first round, in my opinion, because <laughs> at 29, I couldn't see a player anywhere I wanted over Tyreek Hill at 29. So, <laughs> yeah, Ty- uh, Chris Green was right, you know, and, and, you know, as far as for the rest of the picks, that's what they had left after they trade. You know, they yeah. paid for Tyreek Hill this year. So, which we talked about is one of was one of the just. If there was something that I could point to and say that that's one of the like it's the most meaningful part of the trade. 
is that it doesn't disrupt future draft classes. They didn't give up future yeah. ones. All these teams that traded for quarterbacks, you saw wide receivers moving, you saw this stuff going around all offseason. Future draft classes would be interrupted because of this. None of that is taking place here with the Miami Dolphins, and I I hate saying that it's probably one of the savviest moves, because to your point, everybody else had a first-round pick. Is anybody else drafting a multi-time Pro Bowler, you know, a couple thousand, what, Chris, a thousand-yard season every year that he's been a starter? Um, just insanity. It, it's crazy. But so when we talk about the NFL draft, unlike every other team in the AFC East, the Miami scouting department was just living on easy street this week. You didn't have any day one picks to worry about. One day two pick, four picks altogether. But that didn't stop you personally from heading down to Sin City to cover the NFL draft, did it? No, of course not. <laughs> uh, if they had no picks, I would have gone to cover, you know, uh, Chris Greer, you know, looking into a microphone. So, yeah, I would have gone regardless, uh, you know, and, and I was there for, for day two. And we were live streaming that entire round. And it had not occurred to me that the Dolphins were, were picking two picks before day two was ending. So we were there all day. And, you know, I damaged my voice because I, I had to scream over the Miz screaming into a microphone. <laughs> and, and they put this giant speaker. When we got there, they said, look, you got table two. And I'm like, table two? Like, this is, this is awesome. And I had a table, like, right next to the stage. I had not, it had not occurred to me, like, doing a, a, a podcast or a stream right next to the stage was probably a bad idea. <laughs> Chris, we've had that happen before. Tried yeah. to do a podcast once with Bruce Nolan for the Bruce exclusive from Inside uh, Bar Bill. Audio was totally unusable. Just so credit well, we to you guys that you pulled it, off. it out, but we had we had to do so many things to, <laughs> to fix our audio. Chief among them is that I had to scream into the microphone for an entire hour for that for that stream. So yeah, you know, it's, I would have gone regardless. It was, uh, Vegas just did so well. It well, did it did it so well. Uh, I think they should get another one. They're getting the Super Bowl in two years. Well, you know, I, uh, I saw your tweet about how the NFL and Vegas's productions are just total class. Why don't you explain yeah. to our listeners what that means or what that meant when you said it? Well, when you get there, think about it like this, okay? Okay, I'm I'm credentialed to the Dolphins and and to the NFL. Okay, uh, I've been credentialed to the Super Bowl to now the draft. Uh, when I go, when I go to pick up my credentials, they have the NFL has a intern basically dedicated just for you, just for you. And we're talking about a podcast in Miami. OK, a popular <laughs> podcast. OK, so, you know, I'll pat my, my, my myself <laughs> on the back here. But they essentially awarded us somebody to basically handle everything we do. They gave us all the availabilities when we went to the Play 60 event. I got to talk to any player I wanted to talk to. Okay. I could get a one-on-one -on -one with anybody I wanted to as long as there was time. So the access was, you know, full blast, uh, all you want. And then, of course, uh, the day of the draft, what a spread they put out for the, for the media. Food was spectacular. Okay. That short ribs, which were absolutely delicious. They had some, uh, some flaky potatoes, which were absolutely awesome as well. So, no, it, it was everything was first class, you know. Then you get to Miami and 
That's beginning to change, by the way. But under floors, let's just say under floors, because I haven't, I have yet to cover this team under Mike McDaniel and the new regime. Under Flores, I don't know. It's like I guess it's a Pentagon briefing. Uh, is the best way to 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 refer to it. Uh, you're basically told stand there, go there, sit here, do not talk to this guy. Uh, to give you an example, okay, I got to talk to Sauce Gardner, Kayvon Thibodeau, Zion Johnson, all I wanted to. I asked for an an exclusive for Andrew Van Ginkle that still has not been granted. And it's a year later. That's hilarious. That's hilarious to me. I mean, and I think it's funny. It almost maybe speaks a little bit to just how Flores runs things. Like, and I, there's been bills here in the bills, like media sphere. There's co- certain coaches who have boxed out certain, not just podcasters, bloggers, no matter how successful we are, certain members of the out and out media have been boxed out for one reason or another that never, everyone loves our coaching staff. So they just kind of look the other way on that stuff. But to me, it always seemed petty, but I like petty. So I respect it at the same time with Brian Flores. It really does seem like he felt like he was running this. I don't know what you want to call it. Like these super secret meetings and nobody can, we can't talk about this and the media can't take, we don't want anyone talking about X, Y, and Z. But I think all coaches are a little bit like that. Like, as soon as the NFL allowed them to say, listen, you, you, we give you carte blanche to start restricting what position. Like, you, I think you made a comment about it uh, last summer when you said it was hilarious going to camp and not being able to talk about what player was lining up in what position. I think yeah, the more that, of that, absolutely. I think the more of that that you give coaches, you give them enough run to keep things secret. They're going to treat it like they're running some kind of Navy operation rather than coaching a football team. I think it's just. Yeah, you good. would ask Brian. Like last year, you would ask Brian Flores, who's calling the plays on offense? And he, would, he wouldn't tell you. Like he, <laughs> he actually would not tell you who was calling the plays on offense. The Pollard you would ask him, I learned a new that, word for because of you. Yeah, and then you would ask him, okay, who's, who's calling the plays on defense? And he would say, well, Josh Boyer runs the defense. <laughs> okay, that's not what I asked you. I asked you who calls the plays. Are you calling the plays? And he'll go, no, no, I'm not calling the plays. But Josh Josh Boyer runs the defense, and and you almost want to tell him, look, I understand you using that phrase on purpose so you don't say that he's calling the plays. Okay, the difference is this: you ask Mike McDaniel the day one, they asked Mike McDaniel, uh, who's calling the plays on offense, and he says, well, I am. And they ask him, okay, and if you don't, then who calls him? And he's like. Well, if I don't call him, it means I died and I don't care. <laughs> See, that's the kind of transparency that I really do wish more coaches had or at least had the confidence to have. Because a lot of these guys, I think that the, this this attitude they bring into it really does come from a place of insecurity. I think it comes from a place of I have to keep everything close to the vest because anything I say that blows my face or might get used against me could cost me my job, could cost me games, which cost me my job, which could. So I get it. I, I wish someone, and it's, it's, it is kind of refreshing to see a coach who's that laid back that he'll just say these things. Now, whether that bears NFL fruit, we don't know. We're going to find out. But it's cool that you guys have that. And it's cool that you guys got to get to Vegas and have that experience. Now, watching your stuff from draft weekend, I think the one that got the most press, or, or at least not the most press, but the most press nationally, was you talking to Sauce Gardner. You you did have access to him, and you asked him a question about what it was, you know, if he was excited to go up against some of the best in the NFL, not even knowing that he would be taken by the Jets, but that what it was going to be like, you know, the the hills, the digs. 
And he was like, no, this is going to be, it's going to be great. Now, obviously, everybody loves a confident cornerback, and he thinks that he can go up against that. What was his, the rest of his attitude like, and what are your thoughts on that statement right there, knowing that he's going to see them both twice a season now? Well, the question was that no player, and that's the truth, no player was mocked more to one particular team than Sauce Gardner to the New York Jets. Mm-hmm. So, and then I said, and, and he looked at me and he's like, oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. I'm pretty sure he did know that. <laughs> of course he did. He has, he has to know that that's the most likely team to take him, right? So I tell him that. And then I said, well, that begs the question, you know, how do you feel, you know, you stack up against Stefan Diggs, Jalen Waddell, and Tyreek Hill. And he kind of dismissed the question. And he basically said, and I asked him, you know, how, how do you seek to cover these guys? And he said, easily. That was his <laughs> one word answer. The following day is draft day, and he gets asked the same question by Michael Irvin on national television. And he gives the most diplomatic <laughs> answer about how great Stefan Diggs, Jalen Waddell, and Tyreek Hill are. And then he has the press conference, and of course, I'm at the press conference. I'm, at this point, I'm haunting him, right? <laughs> So I got my producer with me. I got Matt with me. And Matt tells me, you should ask him again. I'm like, no, I ask him again. He's going to tell me to go fuck myself. All right. And we may (laughs) never get credentials ever again. (laughs) Because they're just going to think that that I'm just, I came to the draft to haunt, you know, Sauce Gardner. Right. So I didn't need to ask him, but somebody else did. And he he proceeded to give the most diplomatic, uh, you know, bouquet of flowers to Stefan Diggs, Jalen Waddell, and Tyreek Hill. (laughs) That you've ever heard. So obviously he was coached well yeah. overnight. No, his agent probably said, listen, the fact that this got put out there and the fact that you said this, not good. Not good for a couple of reasons. Well, it's actually kind of funny because it's a double-edged sword here, right? On one hand, you just handed some of the best wide receivers in football right now who, you're, again, you're going to see these guys twice a year, like every season for as long as your at least your rookie contract goes. So you just handed them some bulletin board material that they didn't, you didn't need that. But also on the other side of things, I I don't know. I like a maverick, right? Like I like a guy who just goes into something like this and says, you know what? I'm cocky. I am cocky, but that comes from a place of confidence because I know the type of player. Your quarterbacks have to be cocky a little bit, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Like if, if they're not confident, then, you know. Then you you have the wrong guy, really. Exactly. Right? If you're if you're not Tom Cruise in Top Gun, then you, it's like you can't be my wingman. Then, like that's it. So, favorite pick, least favorite pick. This will probably be short because you guys didn't have many. Who was your favorite, and was there one that you didn't like? Well, if you watch my stream, I had I built like a little big board, which which is to say that I went up to where there was a Xerox machine. I took paper out of the machine. And I wrote down three names that I thought would make it to 102. And I wrote three names at every single position. And at linebacker, I had the Anderson kid, which he ended, one, he ended up going a little earlier. I had Tim Dahl number two, and I had Chad Muma number three. So I ended, I ended up getting the, the guy that I had number two as my number two BPA at 102. So I got to be happy. Channing Tindall is easily my, my favorite pick. I thought it was a great draft pick. He's going to play this year. Like, I don't think he's going to supplant Atlanta Roberts because Atlanta Roberts is a vet. And he's a team captain. But he's eventually going to replace him. And I think he's going to play enough. And that helps 
with depth at the linebacker position. You have no idea how furious I was. I'm like, you mean to tell me that the Buffalo Bills drafted a guy whose ceiling is maybe, 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 maybe Matt Milano Jr.? And there was Channing Tindall sitting there on the board. Oh, and, we talked about it. And, I don't, have to, and uh, I don't have to tell you, uh, Simon Clancy, who, who has his own draft guide, his own, you know, he, trust me when I tell you, he did not he did not rewrite the draft guide after Miami took Channing Tindall. He had him ranked as the number three overall linebacker in the draft. So Simon Clancy is absolutely over the moon with the with the draft pick. Was so there any, we love the draft pick. Was there any pick you guys hated, or at least one that you looked at and you said, "Ah, we probably could have done without that." The rest of the picks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Eric uh, Ezukanama. You, I guess. I guess that's the the guy that's going to push Preston Williams. <laughs> But you know, you know what pushes Preston Williams is his hamstrings, right? <laughs> it's just health with this guy. Yeah. Uh, and then the rest of the guys are seventh round picks. Who I mean, we seventh round picks when you're when you're te- when you're building a team the way that the Miami Dolphins have theirs built. I don't know what their upshot even is to begin with. It's yeah, just- uh, Cameron Good and Skylar Thompson. I don't see their fits whatsoever on the team. <sighs> Well, yeah. you guys got the draft in the books. It's the first one. I don't even put this on your head coach because your head coach has only been in the building for a little while. This is like McDermott's first draft. He's inherited. So this was just Chris Greer going out there and saying, look, I already did the heavy lifting. These, eh, we'll take these picks and we'll see what we can do with them. One out of four, you're happy with the return. I, I'm just, I'm really interested to see how this offseason goes how this training camp goes. I know we're going to be talking more often as training camp ramps up because I I really do think that this is going... Chris, true or false? This division seems like it's shaping up now, post-free agency, post-draft. Like, it's going to be Miami and Buffalo wrestling for number one and number two, correct? Yeah, it's great to not have the Patriots uh, in the conversation at all. Oh, God. Patriots might be last, if you think about it. I love that you said that. Go look at the betting odds today. Sal Capaccio at WGR 550 tweeted out uh, yesterday that the odds for and where each team are play, could place in the AFC, there's a lot of money to be made right now betting the Patriots at fourth, but not as much money as you would think. Like It's not the type of money that makes you say, whoa, that's astronomical. It could never happen. It would be interesting. I don't know. Between yeah, now, I thought that the Jets, uh, and I said this on the podcast, uh, I didn't. I, each of their first four picks were not my favorite guy at the position, but they were like top three guys at the position. So I thought they had a really, really good draft. And I thought I thought the Bills had a, a great draft. I think James Cook, uh, he was a favorite of ours down here. He trains down here. He, you know, he's the brother of Dalvin Cook. Yeah. Uh, Dolphins had him in for a workout. Dolphins really loved him. Uh, Dolphins liked Rashad White, the guy from ASU. And uh, we reported this. They wanted to take Rashad White. Rashad White got taken uh, before their pick. And they essentially settled for Tyndall, who they say was, uh, you know, was BPA on their board. But we know better. I think it was they would have taken Rashad White instead of Mm -hmm. Tyndall. But and and you got the punk god like uh, you guys <laughs> thought you had an issue with punting. I had to drink a wine p- cooler because of that, sir. 
I had to drink a Seagram's Escape because yeah, of that. We made I'm a, that much closer to diabetes. We made a bet last week. I said the Bills are drafting a punter, and it happened. I, I even guessed correctly. I said six Yeah, but this round. is not any other punter. Yeah, punt Christ. That, right? <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's a mess. Well, yeah. Now, now, look, there were some Dolphin fans that were like, ah, damn it. Can't be, can you believe this, 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 this BS? The Bills are getting the punt god. And I'm like, you're worried that the Bills are getting a punter? <laughs> If you see him on the field, good things are happening. Well, exactly. Anytime we have to punt, it's good for the other team. Well, I appreciate you saying nice things about our draft. You're going to have a ton of content coming up between now and Miami Dolphins training camp. Where can people find it all, and where can they follow you guys on Twitter? Uh, check us on Twitter. Is the number three yards per carry. You can get our podcast basically anywhere you, you get your podcast. Uh, just check us out. And, and, of course, there'll be some content on YouTube trickling in, in and out every once in a while. And so next up on the docket is the New England Patriots, who I, I got to open a fresh one for this. The New England Patriots, who in 2021 finished second in the AFC East, came into the draft with nine total picks, six of them coming on day three. Here to talk to us about the what has been a widely contested draft class for the New England Patriots, Mr. Mike Debate. And sir, I got to say, it's almost like uh, I feel like Macaulay Culkin over here. New England, your draft class. Woof. <laughs> What happened? What 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 happened? And is all of this hyperbole just is it justified? Uh, there's a little bit of justification. I'm not going to sit there and you know put the the patriot uh, you know footy pajamas on and then wave pom poms. There is definite question as to whether or not the Patriots got true positional value at a lot of different spots in this draft, not just at number 29. But ultimately, I think what this solidifies, gentlemen is that Bill Belichick continues to dance to the beat of his own drum. He has a positional grade on these guys. He has a value for them. His team does as well. I don't want to make it seem like it's just Belichick, the mad evil genius that's in the, you know, the, the war room, and he's making all of these decisions independent of anyone else's help. Matt Groh is definitely a big part of this. Uh, there are you know the Patriots' brain trust that is in the war room, but these guys have value on these players, and they're not going to worry about the Mel Kuypers and the Peter Kings of the world that are going to, you know, grab, you know, grade them with a with an F or PFF that's going to come out with a D or Peter King was going to call these guys naive. He's going to do what he feels is best for the football team. And whether or not that succeeds, Bill Belichick will live or die by that. And he'll either get all the praise in the world for hitting this head on or he'll get the necessary criticism for not doing this. But one thing is certain, he's going to stay true to what he feels is going to be the best move for the football team. This is what the Patriots did. And so this is where, because we've kind of started each one of these segments tonight, talking about like the, the big storyline around each draft before we get into the picks and everything. Last week, we sat here, Chris, doing a podcast, and we all collectively, me, you, Anthony Prohaska, basically across the board pegged the Jacksonville Jaguars as the team most likely to shoot themselves in the groin on draft weekend. And they did their best. Don't get me wrong. They really gave the Patriots a run for their money here. But when you, t- and again, you talk about the Peter Kings and the talking heads of the world, somehow the Patriots ended up with a worse aggregate draft grade than the Jaguars mm-hmm. did. And obviously those things don't matter. We, we as fa- fans might put a lot of credence in that, but football people, GMs, people who make hiring and firing decisions, owners, owners don't care. Owners don't care what Peter King thinks, right? That's why he doesn't work for them. He works for us, the lay fan who's just out here eating up the stuff that they have to offer. 
But when you look over the makeup of the class and the opportunity cost of who they took and when, it doesn't look great. And one of the biggest defenses I've been able to find, because trust me, I try to be, Chris, you know me, I'm not even-handed, am I? No. I'm not known for being a, especially when it comes to the New England Patriots, I'm not <laughs> I'm not known for being a quote-unquote fair individual. So I feel like Chris Farley. Sure. So maybe I'm not very nice to Patriots fans. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're like Bennett Brower. Exactly. <laughs> but so I, I kind of, whenever I hear this type of stuff and when everyone in the media is saying the same thing, I just, by default. I do this with most news. I do this with most social, political topics. Mm -hmm. I try to find evidence to the contrary just to see if I can find a reason to believe in a middle ground. And one of the biggest defenses from Patriots bloggers, podcasters, beat writers, the garbage men out in Southie, who even today are saying Bill Belichick doesn't care about what the media is and fans think. That's the only thing they have to point to is that Bill Belichick has won Super Bowls and he doesn't care what anyone thinks. You yourself just kind of said that. I'd question whether or not that trust has truly been earned here recently. I mean, the NFL is very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Your 2021 class was an, was impressive. It really was. When you look at Barmore, when you look at Ramondre Stevenson, when you look at how many contributors you guys pulled out of that group. But half the reason some of those rookies were getting the opportunities that they did and why all that offseason spending was necessary that you did in 2021 is because it's been a number of years since Bill Belichick could be touted as somebody who drafted well. I went back through the numbers. 2017, you guys had four picks. One of them is still on the roster. And your third round pick, uh, Garcia, the tackle, he's in the CFL right now. Uh, 2018, two out of the nine draft picks are on the roster. No one who left is currently a starter somewhere else in the NFL. 2019, five of 10 are still on the roster. Only two starters. One's a punter. And the first three picks are all probably not going to be retained due to poor performance. I mean, Nikhil Harry, uh, Joan Williams wasn't anything special for you guys when they had to be pressed into action last year. And Winovich, didn't he get traded to Cleveland? Yes, he did. Okay, so, in the offseason. So the top three picks of that class, Harry just had his fifth-year option declined. They, they were trying to shop him last offseason but couldn't find any takers. So right there's three years of drafts that mm-hmm. highly questionable. 2020, 10 picks, you got two starters who, Owenwu, he's been great for you guys, which for being a six-round draft pick is just a steal in terms of value. But then you look at the rest of the class and say you took two tight ends that have seven games. Not just starts, but seven games between the two of them. One start and a kicker that was drafted before the Buffalo Bills, Tyler Bass, that has never played in an NFL game. I I don't know. And there's enough history there to suggest, I think, that these any sense of patience or confidence that people want to exude in trusting Bill Belichick, the GM. Not Bill Belichick, the coach, because on game day, I don't know that anybody does it better in terms of preparation, game planning. I don't know. I just feel like the people who seem to trust him are blurring those lines between Bill, the head coach and Bill, the GM. And maybe it's to your team's detriment a little bit. Is that crazy for me to say? I don't think it's crazy. I think it's a valid point. But what the other side of that coin is not going to tell you that the 2019 draft, absolutely. There's a lot of dirt on the uniform there. Nikhil Harry definitely did not pan out. And I've been in 
labeled an Akil Harry apologist on Locked On Patriots and even through my <laughs> writing. But there's no denying the fact that this is a pick that is not going to yield the type of return on investment that the Patriots hoped. Joan Williams, you make a very valid point with him. Chase Winovich was kind of a square peg in a round hole, didn't fit the Patriots system, and now he's going to be in Cleveland. And I think he'll do very well there. The guy they brought back in, Mac Wilson, I think is much more suited to the way the Patriots want to play now. That speedy type of linebacker that's going to pursue the quarterback. Maybe not that nonstop motor that Chase had that's going to be a sack machine, but Mac is going to be a guy that can uh, slot in and be equally productive against the run and also against the pass. In 2020, I think you're looking at guys that were hit or miss. Justin Rohrwasser, that's the kicker that you're talking about. Yep. Absolutely. That's dirt on the uniform. Devin Asiasi, maybe a little bit in the tight end. Dalton Keene has not played because of injury. Okay. And that's something that, unfortunately, is not really something no that one can do you anything can about foresee. Yeah. So, you know, there have been injury questions there. Uh, but there is an upside. I think the Patriots would like to see him play that H-back fullback role, someone that can come in and be able to utilize that type of role as a tight end. So the jury is still out on him. Jake Bailey has been a very good pickup for them, and he's been a very good punter for the New England Patriots. So you look at the type of guys that are going to come in here and are going to succeed. Bill Belichick always identifies by fit within the system. He's not really looking at the six rings and flashing those every time. He just said, you know what? I like this guy. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. I can tell you being in the locker room and having, you know, been around the New England Patriots, uh, posters of that do not exist uh, in that Patriots locker room mm-hmm. anymore. He's not looking to rest on those laurels. But at the same time, there's question marks on these players that are being brought in. So ultimately, return on investment has to be there. You started to see that a little bit in 2021 and the payoff that a lot of these guys are having, whether it be Mac Jones, Christian Barmore, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, they're going to need similar production from some of the guys that they brought in. I know based on their draft pedigree that a lot of people don't believe that will happen, but that's what the Patriots need out of this draft class. Will it happen? Jury's still out. Were you surprised by the... uh, So let's dig into this class. Last year, you guys... One of the big storylines I kept coming up with as I was digging through Patriots material, there seemed to be some... Maybe you can't call it frustration, but some confusion because you look last year... The Patriots found dirt, uh, found uh, pay dirt, just looking at prospects from big schools, players that, you know, they've played in big moments, big games. They've got a lot of experience against top flight competition because they came from power five conferences. This draft was different. There was a lot of guys from smaller schools who maybe haven't been tested at that level at the NCAA level. So a lot of their production can be. I don't know. You don't know what to make of it, whether it's smoke and mirrors or how much of it will translate at the same rate that it did in the NCAA. Do you think that was intentional, given how widespread it seemed over the course of the class? Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily intentional that they were looking to the smaller schools, but I think they were intentionally looking for players that could fill slots, maybe at a value uh, or but fill slots that they needed to have filled. A couple of years ago, the Patriots drafted Kyle Duggar out of Lenar Ryan, and that sent shockwaves through the Patriots draft. Everybody is looking at this going, how could Bill do this? He could have got him much later. Um, it's a division, division two school. He's going up against lesser competition. Kyle has actually worked out pretty well in the Patriots system. And you saw the fact that he was much less than 100% against the Buffalo Bills in that playoff game. Patriots defense looked lost at times. And so much of what they did well against teams early on in the season was that three-headed monster at 
at the safety position, whether it be Devin McCourty, Adrian Phillips, or Kyle Duggar. You take one piece out of that equation, all of a sudden it was a difficulty. So there's a hit that no one thought was going to hit for the for the Patriots, and it did. Are they going to get that same value out of Cole Strange? It's way too early to tell. But right now, I can tell you that scouts on this team were very high in his ability to play multiple positions, to get into position, and also run protection, which is where this kid really shines. I'm not saying that there's no question about it, that Bill made the right move, that he didn't leave value, maybe dynamic value on the board by picking Cole Strange and maybe getting a chance to choose him in the second or the third round. But again, they placed a value on this kid, much like they did Duggar a couple of years ago. And that one worked out pretty well. Was it a slam dunk, surefire, Hall of Fame pick? No. I mean, no one's going to say that at this point. Kyle Duggar hasn't played enough games, but it could end up having the same type of ripple effect if Cole Strange is able to do what the Patriots brass believes he can do. So we're talking favorite and least favorite draft picks from the class. Who were some of your favorites? Like who are some guys out of this class that you look at and you go, I really like not just the idea of who they drafted positionally, but the player themselves. Uh, A couple, one on day two, one on day three were my favorites. If we're looking at it, I loved Marcus Jones uh, out of uh, university of Houston Third round pick for Marcus, and I think it's value there. Look, this kid's not going to transform the secondary. There's no question about it. But And the reason being is that I think a lot of his detractors are picking on his size. He's not a very sizable cornerback, and he'll be the first to tell you that. But got very good breakaway speed, an excellent athlete, great athleticism on pass defense, and really a pretty good tackler for a kid of his size. But where he projects best, and I think he's going to be a guy that will help out in the slot, at the, at the cornerback position for the Patriots, but a guy that I really like, uh, you know, for possibly the, uh, I turned over a kickoff 100 yards for a touchdown with 17 seconds left against SMU, which was the 19th ranked opponent at that point. Good value there. If the Patriots do use him as the return man this year, immediate return on investment. Day three, one of the guys I really loved was Pierre Strong Jr., the running back out of South Dakota State. I like the way he fits in here in New England. He could end up being uh, a pass catcher out of the backfield. Does run with a good amount of burst. He's very patient when he come, when it comes to looking for the seam. When he finds the seam, he'll hit it, but he's not going to force it. And that's something the Patriots running backs are noted for. Damian Harris is very good with it. And I think they may have found someone that can be a contributor in the future, especially with James White nearing the end of his tenure well, that's, here in New England. That's what I was so, going to say. You guys, can't guys keep, like. you guys can't keep running James White back down our throats every single season as the pass catching back. I mean, it's <laughs> it's one of those things where I hate drafting Patriots running backs in fantasy because I know that this guy exists. I know Bill <laughs> Belichick will never let him leave, and he's good to steal at least yeah. four. He's going to get at least four or five targets almost a game. And then that that, mm-hmm. that time, and that was before Mac Jones. So now Mac Jones around, you say, okay, if he's healthy, whoever you pick up, you know that you have to contend with this guy here, vulturing targets, vulturing touch, right. vulturing touches. This guy does seem like a developmental piece who could take over that role. Uh, and also, what I was going to say is small cornerbacks. Don't tell us Bills fans about small, small cornerbacks because Teron Johnson. Because nobody <laughs> thought Teron Johnson was going to be able to play. You called him meh. Yeah, I said meh because I go, oh, so you got me a small slot corner who's going to get bullied. But he plays, he plays the run 
inc- with an incredible amount of physicality. I mean, it's also why he's mm-hmm. banged up sometimes. But he, when he's on, he's on. And again, if you guys can get that type of growth from a guy like that, it doesn't do terrible things for you. I do right. have one question. Mm-hmm. So you talk about the cornerbacks you guys drafted. What we're not talking about is this dynamic. You took Cole Strange as a 29. Now, everybody knows, like, hey, that that pick has been beaten to death, (laughs) so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) But what I want to know is the pick you gave up, right? Cornerback entering this offseason by no fault of the Patriots, right? I mean, I get it. J.C. Jackson prices himself out of what you guys can afford to pay. Stephon Gilmore did the exact same thing the the previous offseason. So getting rid of that, like, it made sense. And going into this draft with a hole at cornerback, I get it. But then you got rid of Shaq Mason and opened up a hole that you didn't have to on the offensive line, which you then used your first round pick to fill that hole. But that was a self-inflicted wound. You didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And in the process, what you did was you gave up the opportunity cost because the pick you traded to Kansas City allowed them to take McDuffie. And then the Bills go next and take Elam. And by the time you guys come back up to the clock, now there's no first-round cornerbacks left, or at least four first-round graded cornerbacks left. So they go guard to fill a hole that they themselves created. Does that give you any pause when you say to yourself, okay, we could have had one of these, and it it just doesn't I – mean, what do you make of that decision? Absolutely, it gives me pause. There's no question about it. And look, bottom line – as someone that has done a lot of research lately on Cole Strange and even pre-draft research, I did mock uh, Cole to uh, go to the Patriots, albeit I did it in the third round, not the first. But at the same time, you look at the talent that was available at the time they were going to pick 21. Then all of a sudden you say, okay, they're going to move down to 29. They've got something in mind. The Patriots know that obviously the guy that they want is still going to be there. They're trying to maximize value, maybe save themselves a little salary cap space in the future as well. But Trading away Shaq Mason is a head-scratcher when it comes to the fact that they utilize that pick to go guard. So now it becomes a referendum on Bill Belichick. Why did he trade Shaq Mason? Was it to free up cap space? Most likely that was probably the reason. Was there a, a concern about declining play? Don't forget, the Patriots see these guys every single day. And Bill Belichick is always the type of person <laughs> that's going to pull the plug early rather than pull it late. Nobody moves on get, before it's yeah. too late better than Bill Belichick. Yeah, and, and that's the case. I mean, and sometimes it's been to his detriment. Uh, there have been times where guys that he's let go of have gone on to, you know, very good, uh, you know, futures in uh, in the NFL. Adam Vinatieri, Asante Samuel, these are guys that have gone on to have success post-New England, but for every one of those, then there have been guys that they've let go of right at the right time, whether it be Wes Welker or whatnot. Tom Brady is an anomaly. I'm not going to go there. Tom Brady is going to be Tom Brady as long as he wants to be Tom Brady. So I'm not going to argue with that uh, one way or another. Uh, that, you know, to me uh, is still an enigma, and I think it will be uh, until we get the definitive tell-all when all of these guys retire. But at this point, when you look at him pulling the plug early on Mason – Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe not. Maybe Mason goes through uh, Tampa Bay and helps them get back into uh, the championship swing there, uh, down there with uh, Brady and the Bucks. So that will be a referendum on him, and I think it's a valid complaint. I think it's a valid point. Uh, if Strange again comes out being, uh, you know, the star that everybody you know thinks he can be here in New England, they've got themselves a pretty good pick. But there's always going to be that dynamic of what might have been 
because the argument is going to be you could have had this guy and Strange and you didn't pull the plug on that. I think it's a valid complaint. The thing we've been ending every single one of these spots tonight on, what are you most confident and least confident of when it comes to this team ahead of training camp? Because most of the roster construction part of this offseason is over. Um, I was listening to Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston over on WEI the other day. Chris, mm-hmm. well, yeah, right. The, the, Chris just put his finger in his mouth like he was gagging himself. I, I, this is the level of research I will do in order to be petty. Like for anybody out there who thinks that I'm not the king of pettiness, or we aren't the pettiest Bills podcast, as our intro suggests, you have no idea. He was asked by the host, I think it was Gretchen Keefe, which hilarious. It, Chris, remember we went and roasted those guys after the Bills playoff win? Oh, yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to that show tonight. I'm going to go back and listen to us throwing them a roast just because I'm going to pour myself a nice stiff nightcap. It's going to be great. They, were, they asked him the question, are the Patriots a better football team now than the last time we saw them play? And his answer was a simple and emphatic no. And he spoke about losses in free agency and their kind of their struggles to acquire top-end talent. Uh, the departure of Josh, Josh McDaniels. And then he pointed to this draft class and said, look, they didn't do themselves any favors here because none of the picks that they drafted are surefire 2022 going to make this team better. These all seem like developing picks. Like, hey, we're going to take this guy, and their ceilings might not get hit for another season or two. So with that in mind, what thing are you most confident in ahead of training camp, and what are you least confident in as we close out this portion of the offseason? Uh, most confident, I still think the New England Patriots are going to have a very solid running game. And I think their offensive line will continue to facilitate that. Uh, they've got Damian Harris coming back. No question about it. He's going to continue to run the ball well. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson will take that sophomore step forward, and I think he'll be good. Again, I like the additions of guys like Kevin Harris, who I didn't mention earlier from South Carolina, and definitely Pierre Strong is a guy that I really like on this team. James White is back. Hopefully, he'll remain healthy. So the Patriots are going to have options in the running game. There's no question about it, and I think they will continue to ride that. That's something I'm most confident in. What am I least confident in? Well, there's it's complicated, because I still think corner is a liability on this team, even with Malcolm Butler coming in and returning. Uh, there's still a question mark about, is he still the same Malcolm Butler of old? I don't think they need him to be that Pro Bowl caliber. Even if he's 2020 Malcolm Butler, I still think they made a good move there. But Patriots are going to struggle, I think, in that department this year in order to have teams be able to do what they did. And bottom line, it's going to be a question mark for this running back for I mean, this is a team that had a lot of problems stopping physical um, and very explosive offenses. And there's one up north right now that you guys know very well that is not going anywhere anytime soon. If anything, you can make the argument that they've increased their opportunity to put points on the board. Uh, they've suffered a few losses as well, but they, you know, backfilled them with just as good players, in my opinion. Um, that to me is going to be the real option. Are they strong enough? Are they fast enough? Have they evolved? into more of the modern type of defense that's going to be able to stop some of these quick offenses that they're going to be facing, not just in Buffalo, but also in Miami within their division. Uh, There's a lot there. That, to me, is the biggest question mark. That's the thing that I'm least confident in at this time for the Patriots right now. Maybe in training camp they prove me wrong, but that's, that's going to be a question. That's going to be a concern of mine until I watch what this team is capable of doing on the field. Well, it's going to be a while before we get to see it, but 
In between now and then, I'm sure we're going to have plenty of content over at Locked On Patriots. Why don't you, and over at Sports Illustrated, why don't you tell everybody what you have coming up over the next couple of months, where they can find all your work? Absolutely. And gentlemen, thank you. It's always my of honor course. and privilege to join you here on the, on the pod. Uh, always love coming on. Uh, you can find me on the Bird app, as my good friend Mark Schofield says, at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-N-F-L. You can catch all of my written work over at Patriots Country now of Sports Illustrated. A little bit of a new branding for the SI Fan Nation site. Uh, so definitely check us out at Pat's Country. Just had an exclusive interview, believe it or not, with uh, – strangest college head coach rusty Wright over at un uh, university of tennessee chattanooga had some really interesting insight on cole things i didn't know about him so check that out and of course every single day each and every weekday on the locked on patriots podcast free and available wherever you get your podcasts including now on youtube scott mason alf artiaga and mike debate three of the best that cover the afc east we haven't done this in a while i have to go new school with this they're like the blackpool combat club what the hell did you just say to me? Blackpool Combat Club. That sounds like a biker gang. It essentially is. It's John Moxley, Brian Danielson, and Wheeler Yuta. There's a guy named Wheeler. Wheeler Yuta. He's Asian. I'm supposed to be He's afraid. Great. I'm supposed to be afraid of a man named Wheeler. Ha 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 ha. Oh no. God, wrestling just gets worse. Wheeler. Well, what other what other soft names do you want to throw at me here? Like the George Carlin bit. Nikki, Vinny, and Tony will beat the hell out of Kyle, Brendan, and Todd. I'm sure you could shoehorn a Wheeler there on the back end, too. Yeah, that's like more of a new school name, Wheeler. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. Wheeler. The Blackpool Combat Club. Who comes up with these names? Chris, who does the writing? Like, you know that there's a lot of comedians who've done writing for wrestling outfits. Patrice O'Neill did it for a while. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Hannibal Burris did writing for the WWF for a while. Like, he was one of their writers. I did not know that. There's been a number of comedians who have written for... Who is currently coming up with this garbage? What would they have to pay you to become a writer for the WWF or AEW or whatever outfit is currently operating. As much as I get paid to do this show with you. <laughs> That's it? That's all it would take to sway you? Correct. Oh, my God. So that brings us to our Buffalo Bills, who finished first in the AFCs for the second straight year. They came into this draft class with eight total picks with even disbursement throughout the rounds. Now, I don't need to run you through what we thought about the class. You can go back and listen to our Nate, our recap with Nate Geary from WGR 550 and Buffalo Rumblings Food for Thought. We had a traditional Nate Geary recap podcast. Beers were had, some wild things were said, a lot of laughs. So instead, what I want to look at, first of all, just our own division, Chris. Did anyone here, any one of our opponents do anything? You know, Miami with their the Jets non-draft. Well, hang on. Do anything with their non-draft, right? Like Miami had no picks because they traded them all in pursuit of what they thought would get them one step closer to the Bills. The Patriots, I mean, they caught a shovel. A shovel in the face is being nice. If we talk about what we did to them in that wild card game. Yeah. Like, that's being generous. It was like, uh, what was it, Negan? I think it was season seven of The Walking Dead. When he beat that, uh, when he beat both those guys to death with that baseball bat, it was a lot more like that if you were there and saw it in person and actually sat next to some Patriots fans the way we did. 
this was this offseason was their opportunity to kind of close the gap on that, and I feel like they failed. Don't you? They are failing. They're going back to early 90s Patriots they're, when they were good. They're definitely not improving. And the Jets maybe improved the most of any AFC's team this offseason between free agency and the draft, but they had no choice. There was nowhere for a four-win football team to go but up. <laughs> so let's not get carried away here and talk about... Chris, are... I, Let's look at it like this. So, so are you? Are you, is it safe to say that we're both like we've been asking our guests all night? What are you confident in? Are you confident that the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the AFC still? They're still the best team. I think the battle for second place got interesting with what the Jets did. Fair. Do you mean second place or do you mean third place? Second place. See, I figured second place was a battle between the Patriots and the Dolphins. No, 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 no. The Patriots did what you should have done. They grabbed two beers and threw themselves down the flight of stairs <laughs> into the basement. For those of you who don't know, that's a that's a callback to the Josh Allen draft. Jesus. Wow. The Patriots are going the wrong way. <laughs> they're taking they're taking the elevator. The wrong way. Not the stairs, the elevator. No, 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 no. They're not taking the elevator because the elevator is a safe way to travel to the basement. <laughs> they took the, they took two beers in each hand and they had Cole Strange shove their fan base down the flight of stairs. Uh, so I want to take a step back now and look at the bills in the, in the aggregate in the AFC. Because the big thing is, well, okay, this draft class, Chris, anybody who, like me, who, throughout the course of the draft, needed some time, you know, Whiskey Drew came out, we needed some <clears throat> some time to think about this. The one saving grace for me was how we stacked up against contenders around the AFC. So when I look at it, I kind of ran this down, because I'm looking at who either made themselves better throughout the course of free agency in this draft made themselves worse or who stacks out who, who are our contenders and how do we compare Indianapolis? Let's start there. Indy. What are the remaining holes? Like just at a glance, Chris, what do you think is one of the things that Indy still failed to address quarterback? Bingo. Boy, you weren't going to get that in this draft. Nope. And that's one of the weaknesses that again, will haunt this football team. I, they're going to be a little light on skill position players, but their quarterback situation isn't as rosy as some of their fan base might like to think. Uh, you go look at Matt Ryan's stats. Now think about this. In the Reich era, they had who? Uh, uh, who was the quarterback when he showed up there? thought it was Carson Wentz. Reich in Indy? No, they had Phillip Rivers. Okay, was that his first season as head coach? might have been. Hmm. I they question had, that. They had they had Philip Rivers and then they had uh Carson Wentz. Okay. So they have Philip Rivers, then they have Carson Wentz, and now they have Matt Ryan. And everyone goes, Oh, well, Matt Ryan's just as good. Is he? I don't know. The guy who went to the Super Bowl was the league MVP in twenty sixteen. Um first team all pro. 2017, 2018, 2019. This guy has declined statistically when you look at completion percentage, when you look at QBR, when you look at 
He's declined every single season since that year that they went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots in embarrassing fashion. And there's some concerning things in there, right? His yards per attempt have fallen every single season. Uh, His yards per catch go down year over year. Uh, His rating deteriorates, and people can debate the legitimacy of quarterback rating. How about this? From 2018 to 2021, he's absorbed more than 40 sacks every single season. 42, 48, 41, and 40. Chris, we're talking about a quarterback who, as of right now, is just a few, well, what, uh, he's a few weeks? You know, I just turned 37 on April 23rd. He'll be 37 on May 17th. So he's just a few weeks younger than me. This guy is out there getting getting sacked at a clip of over 40 times a game for the last four years. How much wear and tear does this guy have? Here, look at this. I got it up for you on the Goog there. Okay, here we go. Here's look the calls. At, look at from 2017 or 2018 when Wright came in under top players there, passers, Luck, Brissett, Rivers, Wentz. So Wright's going into his fifth year and has never had a court, the same quarterback two seasons in a row. And it's the same conversation every year. They're fighting for a wild card spot. And I think the thing that I, I look at is, so you've got this quarterback of, that's got a lot of mileage on him. He's taken a physical beating. His statistics have all declined, and that was when he had Julio Jones and, uh, what is it, uh, Ridley. What's this for? It doesn't matter, because he's probably not going to play in the NFL again anytime soon after getting banned for a year. Matt Ryan isn't close to what Phillip Rivers was when he joined the Colts. Rivers was still coming off of some of his better football in terms of accuracy, in terms of what... That's not who Matt Ryan is at this point in his career. So while the run game can probably protect him in in a weak division, you, I could see him winning some football games. What's the ceiling for this team? I'd say this to ceiling, win the division. I think the ceiling is probably the 2020 Colts, which means I don't know. We saw how that played out. It was them losing here in Buffalo. In a close one, but losing to an offense that really sputtered in a playoff where our best things, you know, people went with the too high safety look. That's where the birth of this whole, here's how you shut down the Bills offense. It's where it came from, was that playoff run. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not buying them as legitimate contenders to who the Bills are now. Baltimore. There's a team that I find hilarious. Uh, they have zero wide receivers on their roster right now with a 1,000-yard season or more than three touchdowns in a single year on their resume. Their best pick of this last draft was David Ajabo. Worst pick? I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to waste my time thinking about it. I like that the, the Ravens had a killer draft. But like we talked about in our winners and losers segment with Nagiri, they gave up a lot to get there. And at the same time, right now, if you're a fan of their team, do you feel good about the direction of this? A quarterback going into a fifth-year option who's mad at the team because he's given away all their skill position players who might help him win enough to justify a fat extension. How do you think that's going to go? I have no idea. That'll be interesting. Yeah. Again, I'm not scared of the Baltimore Ravens at this point, given their current makeup. The Denver Broncos, that's a team that's interesting to me. Uh, The remaining holes... Probably still their defense. I mean, they were one of the worst defensive in the AFC West. They were a bad defense and it's an AFC West that just got better, a lot better, right? I mean, they landed Russell Wilson. That's a part of that. 
But then because of Russell Wilson, teams started trading for cornerbacks, signing money on the defense, you know, trading for defensive linemen, trading for wide receivers. I think when you look defense by defense by defense, the Chiefs are still the bottom of the barrel, but Denver's not far behind them. In fact, at this point, I'd almost say that the Raiders have a better defense than the Chiefs do. I mean, than the Broncos do right now. And that's going to be a problem for a quarterback who, yes, he's talented, but Chris, he's never played in this system with these players. He's never played with any of these guys before. Do you think he's going to take over that team and just start throwing for 400 yards a game like clockwork? Yes. <laughs> I I just I look at that team and I say, okay, you made some nice moves in this draft. Overall, I don't think it was enough to supplant. I don't know if that gets past, gets you past Kansas City. I really don't. I mean, that, that, whole, that whole division's going to just beat the shit out of each other. For sure. Cincinnati was a good one, right? Because Cincinnati, their weakness, both after free agency and the draft. Tackle? The, well, their offensive line got better. They did go out. and they Again, I don't blame them. Like I'm looking at the draft cast right now, and I go to their team, and I say, okay, show me. Show me potato salad. They go out. And they spend their first two picks on safeties. And people go, what? That seems crazy. They traded up with the Bills in order to get one of them. Well, it's not if you look at what their secondary was last year. Uh, they made the playoffs and they made the Super Bowl with that defense. But they were the 26th ranked pass defense last year. And Chris, remember all the talk about how the Bills went over in all of our quote-unquote close games in 2021? Yeah. Cincinnati played... Of their, what, tw- you got to play in 20 games to get to the Super Bowl? Something like that. Cincinnati had 12 one-score football games in 2021. Nine of them were settled by just a field goal, including three of their four postseason matchups and the Super Bowl that they lost. They went 6-6 six and six over those 12 games, and four of their wins, they had to score more than 27 points in order to get there. Do you know how fucking crazy that is? It's nuts. You have to score 30 points to win a three-point game. I'm sorry, but that that's not going to get you anywhere. Like, deep, playing defense like that, you went 50-50 in close games. You're not going to get the same bounces you got in some of those wins. You arguably might not get some of the bounces that you lost, but altogether, I, I don't see what they did last season as easily being easily replicated. So you look at their draft class and you say, we understand Daxton Hill. He was a great pick. Best pick. I, I you, you love that. They take their third round pick and they, Chris, for a team that had no offensive lineman, I think the worst pick, if you're talking about the Bengals, they didn't draft an offensive lineman until the fourth round. That's not a player you're expecting to come in and play right away, are you? No, especially from North Dakota State. If you go to Bengals, Our Lads, right? The Cincinnati Bengals depth chart. I always use Our Lads because to me, they, they just, they update quickly. They show you everybody on the roster, including, and they break down when that player was drafted, where they came from. When you look at their offensive line, they're still coming back with Jonah Williams at left tackle. Uh, what they, They've got Ted Karras now and Alex Kappa at guard and right guard. They've got Lyle Collins at right tackle. So you're assuming, Chris, that their offensive line will be better. But the problem is last year, they, they they were inundated with injuries, and they had no depth. They've got better starters, but they, again, have zero reliable depth in that capacity. 
So with the defense, with an offense, it's the only thing keeping them afloat. A defense that really didn't change much other than adding a couple free, a couple draftees who as rookies at safety are going to have a ton to learn. I don't know. I, I'm not any more afraid of them than I was last year. And then Kansas City. Isn't Kansas City the silver tuna there that you're hoping, like, hey, we can get past them? Yeah, they're still the gold standard. Their weakness after free agency, post-draft, is still experience. They're starting cornerbacks. Rookies make up two of their three boundary options right now. Two out of three of their starting outside cornerbacks are rookies who have never played an NFL snap before. Their wide receiver room, four of their top six wide receivers have had zero passes thrown to them from uh, by Mahomes. So you really shuffled the deck there. Your linebacker core, they've got uh, Bolton and Chanel, who Leo Chanel was one of my favorite linebackers in this draft class just because of what a unique skill set he has. I was pissed that he went there because it felt like a hat on a hat. Like he does the same thing Bolton does. They both play at the line of scrimmage. They've got Willie Gay, who has durability issues. He has he hasn't played a full NFL season in his career yet. And he's the only linebacker on their depth chart with off ball skills. Much less any kind of coverage ability to speak of. And no other linebacker behind the three of them has an NFL start to their credit. There is no starting experience on that defense. Everyone's happy about Sky Moore. Chris, he's a wide receiver from Western Michigan. Corey Davis was a top 10 pick out of Western Michigan, and he was supposed to light the world on fire. He left the Titans in free agency to sign with the Jets. Not, not exactly a franchise wide receiver material, huh? No, not at all. I, Trent McDuffie, probably a great player, but he becomes yeah, Rashad Fenton. He's nothing. Trent McDuffie becomes your number one cornerback and your number three cornerback is a rookie. I just, I, I don't see how this goes well. Like they in, invested a ton. Of, look, Chris, how many defensive picks did they have in this? Like you look at the makeup of the draft that you just put up on the board in front of me. One, two, three, four, five. So five, that's more than half their draft class was all on the defensive side of the ball. I, but what does that get you? <laughs> like, Okay, you got a bunch of rookies, and I heard all the, look, look, the Chiefs did it again. Whoop, Chiefs addressed all their needs. I myself was mad about it. I remember thinking to myself, how are we letting our conference, you know, conference opponents restock like this and just add all the positions? That... And then I took, it actually took my wife reminding me of something I said, just out of snark, because I think I was pissed off about all the draft preview shows we were doing. Because, Chris, you and I both know the draft is not my favorite time of year. No. She goes, didn't you the other day come home, you have a couple cocktails, and while you were half in the bag, tell me that the whole draft process was nonsense because it's a big dog and pony show, about 400 guys, 200 guys get drafted, and of those 200 guys, 45 of them matter. That's correct, right? If you're boiling down what the NFL draft is, half of these guys won't matter. Yeah. The the Kansas City Chiefs just took a whole bunch of names. I, they're gonna these guys are gonna be forced into starting roles very early in their careers. What are the odds that every rookie they took pans out? Slim. So with that in mind, you look at the Buffalo Bills. 
we're a team that didn't. You can hate our draft class. You can think you know you can think it was a middling draft. That's what's supposed to happen when you're a Super Bowl contender. That your roster is already constructed in a way that any rookie you draft probably doesn't have a significant role to play, right? I I don't know what else to say other than that. So with that in mind, I'm confident about where we stand, not only in our division, but also in the conference to make good on the fact that we are front runners to at least see an AFC title game. How do you feel? I like our draft class, especially the punter. God. By far my favorite pick. Gotta hate you. Called it and called the round. <sighs> Elam, w- Elam was a great pick. I mean, I don't know much about the uh, other guys. I know the, the wide receiver that we drafted was uh, well liked by Bruce Nolan. I think that I think that you're allowed. I don't know how. I don't know when. I'm gonna have to reach out to some experts and establish how long you can take victory laps over the punter thing. Because it's a while. Trust me, it's a while. That's a good one. If his if he has an excellent career, every year, every day, every year, every day, every show that we do draft wise, you're going to remind me we drafted a punter. Oh, if he's if he's a stud here in Buffalo, I'm going to end up getting his jersey and then having him sign it (laughs) through Reed, and I'll frame it and give it to you. God, I hate you. See, this is this is the love hate relationship between host and producer that really produces a great podcast. Yeah, or or if I, you know, if there's an opportunity where I'm hanging out with Reed and he's there, you know, I'll ask him, "Hey, how much do I have to give you to get a pair of your cleats?" And I'll just gift them to you. <laughs> and, and yeah, like every year for your birthday, instead of just giving you a bottle of whiskey, I'm just giving getting you something from our punter. <laughs> Just another piece of memorabilia? Yeah. Oh, my God. Between Robbie Gould and Leon Washington, I thought my days of being threatened with football player memorabilia would be over, but no. Nope. Now we have Matt Arisa to look forward to. So, Chris, as we've asked everybody else, I'm going to ask you, what are you most and least confident about when it comes to this football team heading into training camp? Uh, I'm most confident that we're going to win the AFC. (laughs) And I'm not sure if there's anything I'm least confident in. If I had, I'll be upset if if uh, our punter is cut and Matt <laughs> Hawk is our punter. I'll give two because I'm trying to be even. We're trying to be fair here, even-handed. Our linebacker core's makeup and the health of Trey White. Both of those things I'm a little concerned about. Um, we haven't seen, well, what, a handful of games down the stretch in 2021? is the only time we've ever had to see this team without Trey White. And now we've lost Levi Wallace, so we're going to te- gonna go into next season if, if White isn't ready to go, if he gets put on the pup list, let's say. Elam and Dane Jackson, sign me up. Two guys without a season starting experience in front of them in the NFL. Even in 2017, when Trey White came in and played his balls off as a rookie, we had other experienced cornerbacks on the roster. Right now, we do not have that. That's a little concerning. Something I hope they can address between now and then. Just like the Sam linebacker position. We need an on-the-line linebacker to come in and do something productive for us. But our offensive composition remains the same, and I think that's ultimately the thing that carries the day for us. We are still a team with a boatload of wide receivers that can get open in space. Can We've got slot options. We've got... 
we've got one of the best X receivers in all of football in Stephon Diggs. We've got one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. We've got options. We've added a running back who can catch out of the backfield, something neither one of our current options can do well. This guy purports to do it at a, at a very high level, so it'll be interesting to see what wrinkles we can work into the offense that we haven't been able to show teams in the past with this guy here. I'm, I'm very confident in our offense, and so even with what our defense brings to the table, knowing that Cincy, with all their fucking problems, made it to the Super Bowl last year, I see no reason that any Bills fan out there should worry that we aren't still one of the preeminent teams in the entire NFL after this offseason building process. I'm pumped. It's just sad that all of this is over. <laughs> and now, Chris, what, what do we have, another week, and then we go bi-weekly? We've never done that, nor can we, because we're contractually obligated to bring you show every week. Oh, there'll be shows. God, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird summer, folks. I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be anxiously looking forward to it because it's, I've never wanted a, like, Chris, I've never wanted the summer, like, lull from the end of the draft to the start of training camp. I've never wanted it to be over this fast. I mean, summer in Buffalo is not something that you give up. It's not something you take lightly. Yeah. But when, when you have four and a half, five months of just snow and horse shit, it snowed two weeks ago. So when you deal with that for as long as we have, you embrace summer. But I can tell you right now, nothing would make me happier than pressing fast forward and getting to the start of NFL training camp. You know, I didn't bring a, a hockey analogy in here. It's like the Maple Leafs. When they lost last season in the playoffs, three they were up three games to one on Montreal, who under normal playoff circumstances would have missed the playoffs last year. They were up three games to one, lost in seven games, and they've had to wait. And they came into the playoffs this, on uh, Monday night, and they beat the shit out of the Lightning. They've had to wait 11 months for that moment because they haven't won a playoff series since 2004 they've had a couple of uh crushing defeats in the playoffs just like 13 seconds for us fast forward me to the fall get me to the afc title game and the super bowl i want to get me these playoffs so that we can I want put, it so we can put shovel to face again <laughs> damn it chris you got me all fired up guys thank you for showing up all season long Thank you for continuing to support the podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun content coming out for you over the course of the summer, but for tonight, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.